Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 84. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm very excited to introduce a special guest, Jeff Zerschmied. Jeff, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. I keep a five-point harness at my desk. Oh, <laughs> you are the right guy to be on Cars Yeah! then. Jeff is an automotive journalist and author from Portland, Oregon. He's the editor-in-chief of Maximum Drive Magazine automotive reviewer for the Oregonian newspaper, and he's the author of eight books on automotive topics, and he's working on his ninth book right now. Jeff, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you please take some time and share some more about your history, your career, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Sure. I kind of grew up around cars. My parents were involved in SCCA and sports cars uh, from way back into the 60s. I'm 50 years old. I grew up around the idea that what you did on weekends was every all your friends came over and you uh, wrenched on cars uh, unless you were going to the racetrack that weekend. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> yeah, the first automotive memory I have is of uh, actually the smell of my dad's uh, Sunbeam Alpine in, mm. in the mid-60s. Uh, I've since learned he had an MG Midget before that. But this is about 1967-68, and I just remember the the smell of the leather and the Excelsior in the seats and uh, the oil and and everything in in that car. And riding around, I couldn't see over the dashboard, but riding with my dad in that that Alpine. Wonderful. And as time went on, you know, there were other cars and race cars and, and things. I uh, I learned to drive stick shift in an MGA that I'm sure will figure prominently later on in this interview because I still have it. Mm. So I uh, yeah, when you when you take a kid who's uh, who's who's learning how to drive in an MGA, you know you're you're probably creating a car guy for life. Oh yeah. After a little sojourn in the technology industry, right after college, I started writing about cars just as, as a hobby. You know, just because it, it was interesting and I was involved in SCCA and and racing after that. And, you know, one time I was between jobs and somebody offered to pay me to write about cars. And I started down that road and here I am today. I make my living writing about cars, which is one of those things I, I, I often say I'm in the I'm in the one percent of people who wakes up in the morning and just can't believe that I actually get paid to do what I do. <laughs> Well, it's a great story of turning your avocation into your vocation. That's a lot of what Cars Yeah! is all about, is inspiring other people that, you know what, if Jeff did this, you can do this too. If you want to work in your field of passion, uh, then there's an opportunity. So 
Tell us a little bit more about how your career evolved after that. Sure. Um, I started um, I started by uh, editing the uh, the newsletter, although I, I changed it from a newsletter to a membership magazine uh, of my, my local uh, SCCA region here in, in Oregon. I had just been doing that, and I'd gotten a little bit of, uh, of, of work with, with small magazines, niche, niche magazines for Subaru and Mazda enthusiasts. One day, I got a call from an editor at the Portland Tribune newspaper, and I went down, and they had several issues of my membership magazine sitting on the table, and they said, we're looking for somebody to write a weekly column about all things automotive, car culture, events, racing, what have you. Would you want to do that? And they did not have to ask me twice. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I love that how you almost stumbled into it, although you really didn't because you were already doing the job that they were looking for. So that's that's really, really cool. Tell us a little bit about Maximum Drive magazine. Sure. Yeah, that's my latest project. We're actually still putting out the first issue with me as uh, as editor-in-chief. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. That was, uh, there again, I, I've been doing a little bit of writing for uh, Engaged Enthusiast Media, which is the publishing house that, that puts out the magazine. And uh, they liked my work as a freelancer, and so they they called me up. They were in a bit of a bind. They lost their uh, their previous editor in chief uh, late in the game on this particular issue. So we've had to really scramble. I actually got hired on Labor Day weekend, and here we are coming up to the end of September. So it's been uh, well, I guess uh, four full weeks now, and we've got the next issue uh, almost ready to go. And uh, what Maximum Drive is, is, is it's a magazine devoted to performance and, uh, and great cars in, in all their forms. Primarily, we look at, uh, at, at late model, uh, domestic, pony cars, muscle cars, performance cars. So we're, we're heavy into, the, uh, into the, the Challenger, Mustang, Camaro world. And then we also cover um, hot rods, street rods, customs, rat rods, even on occasion. Um, I have a particular love for those. <laughs> the, uh, the the pure, purity of essence of a rat rod. Yes. And, uh, and the occasional exotic. Uh, so in this upcoming issue, we've got this absolutely fabulous uh, 55 Chevy Delray sedan that this fellow has owned since 1960, has sort of slowly customized along the way. And we've got a uh, we've got a car where uh, it's a 2009 Challenger where the fellow kind of built his own Hellcat out of it. He uh, he put a blower on it and has really touched every system in the car, and that's our cover car. So we're we're excited about that. And then we have a uh, a perfectly restored '65 Corvette convertible as our classic for for this issue. So uh, it's super fun. I'm getting to meet a lot of great people, uh, great photographers and writers out of my region. I know everybody in the Northwest, but I, I, I'm meeting new people all over the country who have been contributors to this magazine. So I'm, I'm kind of coming into a situation where I'm, I'm set up to succeed with so many great people around me. Oh, that's great. Sounds like fun. We'll talk a little bit more later in the show about how people can uh, get a hold of you and, and the publication. And I want to talk a little bit about your books, but we'll do that in a minute. As we continue on this journey, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. 
It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Jeff, take the wheel. Okay. My inspirational quote uh, actually hangs above my desk in the form of a, uh, a reprint of a, of a World War II inspirational poster. You know, they used to make these sort of loose-lipped sink ships posters mm-hmm. and things, post them around. Well, mine actually comes from Britain, and I got it at the D-Day Museum in Southampton. And it shows a, a, a charcoal drawing of Winston Churchill with his trademark bow tie, and he's pointing right at you, just like Uncle Sam in some of those uh, American posters. And underneath it, it says, deserve victory. Mm. And I've always liked that for its, because y- you can't avoid it. Winston is looking right at you and saying, you need to deserve to win. You need <laughs> to deserve what you get. <laughs> and and so that that makes me, uh, that, that drives me when I sit down in the morning and I go to work. I need to. I understand that I have to. I have to deliver the best that I possibly can. Well, I love that, and you really answered my next question of how you incorporated that quote, or you do incorporate that quote into your life. That, uh, and it's something that all of us need to be reminded of. We do deserve success and victory if we work hard for it and try to do our best every day. And that's a great way to get motivated. As we uh, continue on this journey. What I like to do is uh, take a look at some of the roads that you've driven down and and really get under the hood and get our hands a little dirty. And wondered if you could share a story with our listeners about a huge challenge or, or even a great failure that you faced that really pushed you past a breaking point. But more importantly, share with us how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it. I'd have to say it was uh, it was my first book. Writing my writing my first book was a huge challenge. I had been uh, I'd been writing for Subi Sport magazine. It was a Subaru enthusiast book. The editor got a call from a publisher, uh, and it was and the publisher was uh, Cartech Books out of Minneapolis, and they said we're looking for a book on on how to build high performance Subarus. You know, maybe somebody at your magazine would like to write this. And he said, Yeah, I know exactly the guy. And they and he pointed him at me. And having having my name on a published book was kind of a big bucket list item for me. It was something I I dreamed about. In my career in the technology industry, I was a technical writer, and I left it ultimately because I got tired of the notion that that nobody would ever read what I wrote except under duress <laughs> when they absolutely had to. And even then they wouldn't enjoy it. The best you could the best you could hope for is that somebody would find your work painless. So uh, I wanted to to write something that people were actually going to want to read. And so I said yes to the book project, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. You know, a, a book, even even just a, a softback trade paperback, those eight and a half by 11 um, how-to books that you see all the time in the bookstore and the cars section, those are about 70,000 words. Hmm. And that's a lot of zeros on the end for a guy who ordinarily writes his uh, writes his life in in 600 to 800 words word chunks. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're writing for a magazine or a newspaper, it's all it's all about brevity. So I got into it and found that it was just a tremendous time commitment and amount of work and the research involved was uh, substantial. And uh, even for a topic you think you know, when you start to really get in and, and cover it in a 360-degree way, it's a big job. So I had my my moment of, of feeling like I should never have signed this contract. I'm going to fail. I You know, this is terrible. 
all of that, and uh, and I came up with uh, I came up with a with a notion that that what I was going to do today was I was just going to pick one bite-sized chunk of this book, and I was just going to finish that one thing. And you know, whether it was a, a sidebar or a, a, a section in a chapter, I just needed to finish that one thing today, that one little piece of the project. And then when I was done with that one, I started on the next bite, and the next bite after that. And if you do that, when you when you look up again, you're, uh, you can be amazed at how far you've come and how many words you got down that day and how many items on your outline you, you checked off as being finished. I just did that every day. I just start with one small bite. Before I knew it, the book was over, finished, and shipped off to the publisher. And then I said, okay, self, so you have published a book. Your name is on a book. You have ticked off that, that, uh, that bucket list item for yourself. Never again. Not going to do it. Wouldn't <laughs> be prudent, you know. All of that. Yeah. And about a month afterwards, my editor at the at the uh, book publisher called me up and said, "God, you know, we just we love your book so much. It's we think it's going to be successful. You did a really great job on it. How about you pick another topic?" And I said, "Well, what do you got?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> completely going against everything I'd promised myself that I wouldn't do. Sure. We came up with the uh, the second book title. Now I approached it with, okay, not only do I know what I'm getting into and how deep of a of a hole I jump into and then have to climb out of when I sign a book contract. Not only that, I know how to climb out of the hole, uh, and I have a, a method that works for me. So I did that one, and that that second book uh, was about automotive welding and metalworking, and that's actually been my most successful book commercially to date. When that one was done, it was me who called my editor and said, what else you got on the dock? <laughs> Give me more. <laughs> and and since then, I've done an average of about one book a year. Wow. Well, there's a, so many great golden nuggets out of that that challenge that you faced and how you overcame it. But one of the ones that stands out in my mind, and you use the metaphor biting off a chunk, is that old saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And... That's how you do it. That's how you overcome insurmountable odds no matter what you're trying to do is one little bit. You can do batches or one little bite each time and before you know it, you're done. So that's a great story. Appreciate you sharing that with us. Could you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? Tell us about that pivotal moment when you really knew you were a car guy. Gosh, you know, I think it was so long ago that... uh... I, I can't remember ever not being a car guy. <laughs> I remember, well, okay, my this MGA that I have, my dad bought it in 1973. It was just another, it's a 1959 MGA Roadster. And in 1973, that made it just a 14-year-old British car. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not not terribly desirable at the time and not, not terribly exciting to anybody but my father. And, and he, he bought it and it was a little bit run down and, you know, needed a bunch of work. And I learned the difference between 7 sixteenths, one half, and 9 sixteenths at age nine uh, in that year by, uh, you know, handing him wrenches as he worked on this, on this MGA. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was one of those, uh, one of those father and son moments, you know, um, where, uh, you know, he was, he was, as we were working, he was teaching me the difference between a convertible and a roadster 
And uh, I remember to this day, a box arrived, was you know shipped over, and my dad opened up this box and pulled out this gorgeous wood-rimmed Nardi steering wheel. Mm. And and he was showing it to me and saying, you know, this isn't just any steering wheel here. This is a Nardi. This is a big deal. And we're, we're putting it on the MGA. And that steering wheel to this day resides on, on the MG. I get, uh, I get points knocked off at concourses for having a non-original steering wheel on the car. But if those judges think I'm going to remove that steering wheel at this point, they are sorely mistaken. <laughs> That's a great story. I love that. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. And so, you know, I used to I used to think when I was, you know, 11, 12 years old, I used to think, you know, one when, when one of these days when I'm when I'm grown up, I'm going to take that MGA and I'm going to I'm going to pull that little uh, MG engine four banger out of it and I'm going to drop a big V8 in there with a big scoop sticking out of a hole in the hood. <laughs> of course, now I would I would rather do anything else in the world except change that MGA. From what it is, sure. but uh, you know, you know what you think when you're 12, right? You yeah. Know, it's, it, you want that uh, <laughs> all, all the power and everything else. Of course. Um, but uh, yeah, so I can't, I can't really remember a time when I wasn't a car guy. Oh, that's wonderful, and it's great those stories and treasured moments you spend that you didn't even know how treasured they were at the time, but uh, you look back now and just kind of thank your father for for teaching you all those things and, and inspiring you and. and lighting the fire to that passion that was probably already there. Let's talk Absolutely. a let's talk a little bit about an aha moment in your career, a time when you realized that uh you know what, I think I can actually make a living doing this thing with cars that I'm so passionate about. Could you tell us when that aha moment struck for you and the steps you took to turn that into a success? Oh gosh, I you know, I think there were there were a lot of moments um since then, I, mean, I started making my living as a as a car guy about ten years ago, sort of uh, two thousand and three, two thousand and four, ish, um, and and it kind of came along slowly. Uh, it was in the the tech crunch, you know. We all we had all lost our jobs in the technology industry, and so I I started uh, I started doing it. As I told you, I I got that gig with um, the Portland Tribune, and. Uh, I just started leading to more and more things. So by the time the technology industry came back and I could and I could get another job in that industry, I didn't really need it. At some point when I realized that, you know what, here it's been a couple of years and that I've been a freelancer and I haven't lost any weight. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm getting enough to eat and, and all that. I um, still have a roof over my head. Geez, maybe this is my job now. Um, and it was sort of a process. And of course, then when the when the the Great Recession hit in 2008, end of 2008, beginning of 2009, everything dried up. I mean, freelance work just went in the tank. So for a while, I was uh, I was picking up tech, technology industry contracts and things like that, and I and I wondered if I could still make a living as an automotive freelancer, and if if that was just over with the new the new new economy. And uh, so it was a struggle through through a few years, and I did other did other technology work to tide myself over. But then here in the beginning of uh, of 2014, pretty much the first Monday in January, my phone started ringing, and it just hasn't stopped this year. Everything has just come roaring back in 2014 uh, to the point now where it's better than it's ever been, and. 
so I, I think I, I survived the Great Recession, and a lot of journalists did not. They either retired or, or went on to different things. Yeah, great story. Thank you for sharing that. Wonderful. Let's have a little fun here. And maybe you already answered this question with your MG, but what was your first really special car? And perhaps you could share a, a memory with that, that you had with that vehicle. Definitely the MG again. The, the car looms large in my life uh, on for many reasons and on many levels. You know, as I said, I, I learned to drive in that car. I remember, you know, my dad teaching me how to not let it roll back on a hill by using the handbrake. And interestingly, they designed handbrakes differently on those cars. Instead of pulling it up and having to press the button to keep to, to let it down or to keep it from latching, on the MG, you press the button when you want to latch it. Mm. So if you just want to use it as a momentary handbrake for the rear wheels, you just pull it up and then just drop it when you're ready to go. So my dad taught me how to how to do a perfect start on a hill uh, using that. Then once I had my driver's license, I... Uh, I found very quickly that uh, the MGA is super popular with young ladies. <laughs> and uh, so what I would do is actually, um, I don't know if I'm incriminating myself, but I, would, uh, I, I used to steal a bottle of wine from my parents' refrigerator, nice cold white wine, and a couple of glasses and a blanket, and I would go pick up a girl and uh, drive her out to the beach, and we would sit on the beach and sip wine and watch the sun go down. I came to the conclusion that MGA on on the little uh, on the little grill vents it says it actually says MGA it's embossed into the grill vent. Um, I decided that that really stands for more girl action. <laughs> now that is the first time I've ever heard that. <laughs> I was I was sitting here picturing one of those wonderful old fifties ads of the car and the boy and the girl sitting in the sunset with the car in the background, you know, in Road and Track magazine, but. Uh, mm-hmm. More girl action. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Great. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've ever had that you sold you really wish you could get back? Oh, we don't have enough time in this interview <laughs> to uh, go down that list. Well, maybe you could pick just one. Any number of cars um, that, I, that I've had that I would love to have again. Oddly enough, the one the one that I I think I really regret selling was a 1985 Volkswagen Cabriolet. Those are just such lovely cars. You get a full four seats in them. You have to walk around the car twice to put the top up or down. It's a bit of a, a of a chore, but so worth it. Just a, a a great design, a great car. Mine was a gray leather interior and burgundy outside and gray top, uh, Wolfsburg edition. Mm. And I do miss that car. That sounds great. Yeah, those are great cars, great all-around cars. Very popular for the time, too, and now they're kind of coming back into their own because there's few of them left around to enjoy. So, Is there a current project you're working on right now, Jeff, that really has you excited and fired up? Yeah, there is. Last October, I I uh, really went outside my, my normal comfort area, my wheelhouse, if you will, and I bought a, a 1920 Ford Model T. Oh wow! And I, I'm the youngest person by about by about 20 or 30 years <laughs> to actually own a Model T these days. Um, <laughs> I'll bet. And uh, I've been I've been fixing it up and getting it running and and learning about the car. And as I as I go through and I really become familiar with the car and the design, 
I become more and more impressed with with the creativity and the the answer that they came up with before you know back in that day things weren't really standardized you know top gear pointed out that the first car to put the clutch on the left the gas on the right and the brake in the middle was a 1916 Cadillac but there were still a huge number of different solutions to the question of how do you move people from point A to point B uh, in a motor car that were in play in 1920. As I learned about the Model T, I decided that uh, the guys who really did the design on that and, and answered that question for Ford at the time, they were just geniuses of cost-cutting, not cost-cutting the way we understand it, like you know, putting, putting cheap plastic where you could use metal or something like that. That's where they, that's where they cut costs today. But they cut costs with design, with good design on the Model T. It has no water pump. It cools by convection. The hot water flows up to the top, flows down through the radiator, and cools. It has no oil pump because it, it lubricates by splashing oil around. It has no fuel pump because it's gravity-fed. And as you go through the car and you just look at everything from the crank on the front to the taillight on the back, they they went through and they were really smart about how they did things. And it, it led me to the observation that, uh, you know, we tend to look at people of another age, and now as, and now the cars are 100 and almost 120 years old since the first motor car was ever made. It, it's tempting to think that we're a lot smarter than they were. <laughs> and that's not true. We have more technology and more experience with design and implementation than they did, but they were inventing this stuff, you know, just out of their own out of their own creativity. They were inventing what a motor car was going to be. So even things that are that look very primitive to us, when you when you think about it, how smart did the guy have to be to dream that up? And the answer is super smart, <laughs> every bit as smart as anybody we've got today. Oh well, thank you for sharing that really tremendous perspective on a. Uh, iconic vehicle for sure. Those are wonderful. My neighbor across the street had one for a while and used to take me for drives and, and shared with, with me a lot of the things you talked about that I didn't know about at the time. And uh, they are fantastic vehicles. Very, very interesting. Interesting to drive too. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be, Jeff, and why? Oh, wow. Um, I like to think I would be a... Uh... I like to think I would be a, uh, a lightweight sports car. I think uh, th- those are the cars that, that really are, the, the cars that are down deepest in my soul are the little four-cylinder British, Italian, now German and Japanese sports cars that are so much fun, that are affordable for everyone, that just give back a lot of bang for the buck. <laughs> I like that. That's great. So, Jeff, we're up to what I call the last lap, and this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So, are you ready to go? Hit me. Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Never buy a car expecting to make money on the deal. (laughs) Very good advice. Yes. Buy it for what you love about it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because you may, you may make money, you may not, You uh, but you can't depend on that. And a lot of people have come to grief 
thinking they were going to flip a car or make a make a lot of money by holding the car. And uh, it, it, it for every for every story you hear about the guy who bought a car for a grand and and turned around and and flipped it for twenty grand, there are <laughs> there are hundreds and hundreds of uh, of folks who went the other way. Exactly. Would you share one of your personal habits with us that you believe has contributed to your success? I read stories out loud. Hmm. When I when I'm finished with a story for a newspaper or a magazine, I I bring it up on my computer and I read it out loud and I listen to what it sounds like because your ear will catch things that are just bad writing that uh, that your eyes won't necessarily catch. Hmm. Wonderful advice and thank you because I'm I'm writing a story right now for a book. I'm going to do that today. I'm going to read that because I think I'm almost done with it and I'm going to read it back and uh, that's a, a great piece of advice. Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners that you frequent often? Perhaps it's a website you go to. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of Wikipedia. Wikipedia, if, if you're looking for any information that is not controversial, because anybody can edit Wikipedia. So, so you know, if you go if you go looking for a politician or a celebrity or something like that, you might find information that's that's less than true or very slanted. However, if you want data on how many different versions of the Chevy small block engine there have ever been and what their production numbers was, uh, Wikipedia is a tremendous resource because people have, uh, enthusiasts, have put in all kinds of details about, about things that are, are not controversial and so are, are, are more accurate. Great. Is there a book you've recently read that you really enjoyed that you could share with us? Well, actually, I'm reading a book right now called uh, The Imperfectionists, and it's about, it's about life in a newspaper. I'm enjoying that one a great deal. Do you know uh, who the author is on that? Tom Rackman, uh, okay. R-A-C-H-M-A-N-N. Okay, great. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find all these resources Jeff has shared with us today at carsyeah.com slash Jeff Zurchmead. And that's Z-U-R-S-C-H. M-E-I-D-E, or better yet, just put Jeff in the search box and his show notes page will pop right up. Do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars, Jeff? I'm a, uh, I'm a great walker. Uh, I, I love to walk around in foreign cities and, uh, and take longer walks. Uh, earlier this year, I, I walked a length of the Camino de Santiago in Spain. My wife and I were just talking about that, wanting to go do that. I highly recommend it, and in fact, I'm I'm dabbling. I'm I'm throwing some photos and words around um, right now to uh, to look at a uh, a self-published photo book of of my experience on the Camino. Oh, wonderful! There are a lot of guidebooks out there that will tell you turn right here, turn left here, stay in this hotel, eat in this restaurant. But what they never show you is what it looks like when you're walking the Camino. Mm. What are, what is what are you doing? What are you actually walking through? And so when I was on the trip, I, um, I took a lot of photos of the countryside, of the houses and the, and the towns and the churches, because it is Spain and there are a lot of those, mm-hmm. um, that, you, uh, that you see on the way. And so I wanted to make a, a, a book of um, just what it looks like to walk the Camino. Oh, fantastic. All right, Jeff, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for 
Some people, it may not be for you, however, we'll see. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money's no object, I'm going to buy you whatever you would like to have today. What would that vehicle be and why? I'll give you three guesses, and the first two don't count. <laughs> I would keep my MG. More girl action. Yeah, uh, more girl action, yep. I'm going to keep my MGA all my life and uh, pass it on to my daughter, and then she can decide what she wants to do with it. There you go. Well, certainly has been an important piece of your life and a wonderful piece of history, and that's great that uh, if you could pick anything, it would be the car. You're one of the few people that have been on Cars Yeah that already has the car of their dreams, so you're a very fortunate guy. I agree. Jeff, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in your MGA? Just this. I, I would say that, that if, uh, if you want to pursue your passion, writing about cars is a great way to do it. Uh, a lot of people will tell you that they are horrible writers, and, and I think that's because they were probably damaged by the way we teach people how to write. And I, I tell them this. Start writing just on Facebook, on forums, wherever you can, start writing. And when you write, write as though you're sitting across a table from your very best friend in the whole world and you've, you've got a beer or a coffee in your hand and you're going to tell them a story about your car and just write it down exactly as you would speak it to your best friend. Rushed, um, stilted, without worrying about what anybody's going to think. Great. And if you do that, you're going to be a pretty good writer. Great advice. Just start writing. And would you let our listeners know, what's the best way they can learn more about you and where you're working now? And then we'll say goodbye. About the best website for Maximum Drive Magazine is on Facebook. So just go to Facebook, put in Maximum Drive Magazine. We've got a nice little Facebook page. If you want to see more about my books, um, and I have two photo histories of racetracks. Those were my, my 2013 projects. I did uh, photographic histories of Portland Speedway and Portland International Raceway, two tracks where I've done most of my driving uh, on on racetracks. And uh, and so I, I felt very fortunate to be the guy that got to write the histories of those two facilities. Um, you'll find those on Amazon. And the best thing to do is uh, go to Cars Yeah and learn how to and copy and paste my name into Amazon.com, and you'll find all my books come up both the, uh, the six uh, how-to books that are out there and the two photographic histories of these great raceways. There you go. Thank you. And that is a great track. I've raced there before. It's a really fun track, so I look forward to finding those books myself and, and learning more about the history. So listeners, again, you can find everything we've talked about here at carsyeah.com slash Jeff. And uh, I'll put all the links to everything Jeff has shared with us on his show notes page. Thank you, Jeff, for being so generous with your time and your expertise and sharing your experiences and your journey with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. All righty. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!